I was just reflecting on what God was doing in worship, and um, it's just a beautiful place that we get to start out from the place of absolute acceptance, and that even if you've totally blown it today, yesterday, uh, the last 10 years of your life, (laughs) I'm serious, he's right there to help if you're willing to receive it. And, and sometimes that, um, if you've been around the things of God, uh, one of the things the enemy will uh, kind of likes to do to people through lies is uh, that you'll be around the things of God, but not think yourself worthy to receive the things of God. And God can be there and willing to help you, but if you have a mindset that you, you're, not, you're not worthy or or you've just messed up too much. Or I remember years ago, I was in this uh, very little small church in South Carolina, Lori, South Carolina, and I'm um, praying for this woman, and she said to me, uh, you don't know. I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I still did it. I said, yes, it's sin. Sin. Sin, woman of God. The good news is, he died to take care of your sin. Every part of it. So uh, a lot of people still live because the religious spirit is not fair, it's legalistic. A lot of people still live, knowing that God has forgiven them, but still thinking that they're going to live as second-class citizens the rest of their life. Now, we do know you, you reap what you sow, but in the kingdom of God, often you reap what he sowed, and he sowed death and resurrection, so you could be, uh, you could be above all your mistakes. So... I don't know, that was just in the room. You live from the place, if you're in the kingdom of God, of absolute acceptance. And you're like, well, you don't know, like, you know, like what I did. And, you know, I really did bad. And, like, it doesn't work like that. It works by what he did. God's, God's connection to you has never been based on, on what you've done for him. It's always on this covenant that he has with Jesus. And so, since he was the perfect sacrifice... Everything moves through the lens of that covenant that he broke with Jesus. And he is, he is more beyond, beyond committed, but also obligated to fulfill that covenant he did with Jesus. So, and, and sometimes it almost feels um, irresponsible. You're like, I just really messed up and now I just feel fine. I'm like, I know, welcome to the kingdom of God. You know, I, I've never met anyone who like felt like really bad about themselves and it helped the situation. It's when you begin to see yourself in light of the mistake that you've made that you have the courage to live correctly. And um, anyway, so that's in the room. So just live from that place. I don't know if we'll talk, maybe talk about Bill tonight, but we have a, a resource table back there. Uh, I don't know if I had this last year when I was here, but this is a, a book by a father in my life called David Perceived He Was King. Uh, lots of generals have endorsed this, but Dutch Sheets just on the cover says, this book is a treasure that will change your life, guaranteed. And I, I believe it. If, if you're, in, everyone in this room is a leader, but I would really highly encourage you to read it. It's full of revelation and understanding. I, I have read a lot of books of identity because I'm very aware of my own issues. <laughs> and uh, this is literally the best one I've read that um, will, if you grab what's in there, it will be life-changing for you. Then uh, we have a teaching series called uh, Living the Ascended Lifestyle. 
we know that uh, Paul taught that we are seated in heavenly places right now. And uh, it's this very interesting thing that we're on the earth walking in these bodies, but positionally, our spirit has access to the things of heaven to change the earth. And uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, he told him, no one has ascended except he that descended, which is the son of man who's in heaven, but he's standing on the earth. And so Jesus was what God intended for all humanity, that he was moved by the affections of heaven because he was moved by the affections of heaven, he could change the earth. And Jesus gives us this promise that in, uh, I believe it's the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, he makes a statement and it, it makes perfect sense if you understand God's original intent. I will utter things hidden before the very foundation of the earth. Meaning he wants to tell believers things that could shape the earth because he wanted man to take care of the earth for him. And uh, so he'd really like to get us out of some elementary things. And um, so that's why it's really important to mature because like in this room is the possibility to reshape your family. In this room is the possibility to birth a billion dollar business that would bring glory to God. In this room is the possibility of uh, a concept or idea that could teach children with ADHD and they would never be the same. In this room is a cure for cancer. In this room, because it's in the realm of the spirit that these things exist. The challenge is a lot of times... uh, People fight hearing the voice of God. And then we create doctrines like God doesn't speak today. And then, and then, then, these, then okay, if you can accept that, then he'll try and get you in like discord and unbelief. And so, and, and all these things will try and challenge the purpose of God. Or when you come together as a gathered community, you know, like brother so-and-so's mad at brother this so because he felt disrespected because he took the offering away. He didn't really think he was. And so when you have all these childish things, it's it's challenging to actually receive the deep things of God. And God, he really wants to say some stuff. It's not like he's withholding anything. He's like, I'll help you with that. I'll help you with that. He goes, but, you know, like, it's not that he's mean and it's not that you earn it, but like, you know, if you're 30 years old and, you know, still have a diaper that needs to be changed, there's something seriously wrong with you. Like, it's cute when you're, like, there's a little baby, you know, a beautiful baby, and he's smiling at me, you know, he's, everything, everywhere. That's funny. It's not funny when you're 10 years old. It's like, grow up. And uh, anyway, so, all right. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we just stand? I just want to pray. Let's just lift our hands. Father, tonight we just thank you for uh, a download from heaven and words from heaven that change the earth. I need your help. Without you, I can't do anything. But with you, I can do all things. And Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. And you didn't say you would guide us into some truth, but you said you would guide us into all truth. So guide us into all truth. Thank you for the angel of revelation here. Thank you for that teaching, revelatory spirit in this room. Open up the word to us, spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come, let it be like those two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus, that as they walk with you, their hearts burned because you revealed your beautiful son. You revealed yourself, Genesis 2, Revelation. 
I, I thank you, Lord, that you're uh, even binding a deaf and dumb spirit that tries to keep people from hearing correctly in this region tonight, and that you're giving people clarity, ears to hear, and eyes to see. Words from heaven that shape the earth. Words from heaven that shape earth. Direct hits from heaven. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because you're here to minister and to speak. And all God's people said, amen. All right, you can be seated. I've always liked that phrase from when I was a little kid. Uh, I am very excited about the season that we're in, in the body of Christ. And I don't say this because I need something to say, but I believe it with all my heart. There's one thing to say something, and there's another thing to believe it. This is the greatest time to be alive for the body of Christ. You're privileged to, to live alive during this time. And every year, uh, probably for the last eight or nine years, the Lord begins to speak to me about the coming season. I think God is God more a God of um, seasons and calendars. But uh, September the 4th, uh, 2019, the Lord began to speak to me. And I, and I, and I began to he talk to me just, I think, just about till uh, right, or right before or after Christmas, he stopped. But he began to give me some understanding of the next season. We call this uh, Word for 2020 and Beyond. And I'm not going to share it all tonight because I, it's not the direction I feel. But I want to share part of it and also something that I believe is relevant for what God is doing in this locale here. If you want to read the whole Word, I don't, I don't know if I'll get to it this weekend. But it's, it's, it's the, the written Word is available on, on our website. But this is one thing the Lord began to speak to me. He says, this is a season of unique and divine strategies from heaven being released to earth for those who have a listening and attentive ear. I'm releasing great grace to my people to wait on on the Lord and listen to the word of the Lord and receive great wisdom for the application of the word of the Lord. This is a season in which my great desire is to release divine words from heaven that would quickly and speedily come to pass as my people lean into me with corresponding wisdom. I'm releasing keys that will unlock the manifestation of prophetic words and mandates, some given long ago. For indeed, this is a season in which the just shall walk by faith as never before. I want to enlarge my people's vision and ability to see and hear from heaven. So position yourself properly and be prepared to act and to do as never before. Be prepared to act and to do. Keep that point in mind. Excuse me, for I desire great impact and adore to greater impact and influence in the nations of the earth is greater faith and trust in the words I speak. This is a season in which I'm inviting my people to co-labor and dream with me as never before for my purposes and my blueprint to be established in the earth. I saw this angel and he appeared to, to be, or, or, or the words I used to describe him is like this ancient angel. And I believe he's this angel that represents uh, the plans and the purposes for earth. And the Lord says, uh, indeed, my thoughts and my plans for the earth are far beyond what the great majority of my people are dreaming. So my desire is that my people would have an elevated revelation of me. For when they see me properly, I will cause them to think and to dream properly with me. My desire for my people across the globe is that there would be a reformation in the manner in which my people think, that when their minds are loose to think as I desire them to think, they would act and manifest uh, that which has never been seen before, but it's my great desire. Keep that in mind. 
As my people receive my blueprints for earth, I desire to finance their vision from the most unusual sources. My people's ability to receive God-given vision will define the resources they receive in their hands. And tonight, just as we were worshiping, uh, I saw like for this region, there was like uh, oil underneath the ground. And there's a reason that you probably worship longer than a lot of communities here. And it's because I saw that the oil underneath the ground cannot be unlocked except through prayer and worship and intercession and prophetic words that would unlock what's under the ground because there's a healing of the land that the Lord wants to do that as the oil is unlocked, I saw the oil first at oil and then I saw it as glory going underneath the land and it goes underneath the land and it begins to go to the cities and byways and affect the people and there's a great harvest that God wants to give you but one of the keys the Lord has given you is worship, intercession, and prophetic declaration and seer prophets who see in the realm of the spirit. They're able to bring what's in the realm of the spirit into the now for the purposes of God to be established. And the Lord says he's going to bring worshipers, creative types from all across the world to be part of what God is doing here. They'll hear a call, go to that place in Augusta, some will know it's here, others will get here and have a revelation that this is a place. Songwriters, uh, creative types, paintings, It'll, it won't be a, a, a specific DNA that you see out there, but it'll be a unique DNA of worshiping and creative arts. And I see banners. I see beautiful colors being released. I see angels being released as declarations are given. And it'll start at uh, one, two, and three hours. And it'll go to six hours, seven hours, eight hours. Then it'll be one whole day, two whole days. But the Lord says, I want you to begin to even believe now by faith that it will be 24 hours a day, seven days a week to reestablish the purposes of God for what I desire to do here. Because there is an ancient plan. There's an ancient plan, the Lord says, I have for the purposes of God. Some came into the city and pioneered and began strong, but they weren't able to carry the full measure of what I have to do. But the Lord says, you play a role in the ancient plan and the purposes of God that I have for this region. And this will be a season, the Lord says. This will be a season of expanding your tents as never before. It's time for your own land. It's time to uh, expand the tent pegs. It's time to, I, I just see like this building and I see it represents the Father's house and the Lord says, it's a season of expansion. The Lord says, you'll have to expand your vision and your faith to receive what I want to do. So expand your vision and faith to receive the abundance abundance that I desire to give you in this season, says the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I want to go back to this phrase here just a minute ago because I felt like it's something the Lord wanted to emphasize tonight. For indeed, this is a season in which the just shall walk by faith as never before. I want to enlarge my people's vision and ability to see and hear from heaven. And so I felt like the Lord just prophetically lay that foundation, but uh, touch on the subject of faith. So I hope you brought your Bibles tonight. Let's look at uh, 
Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, let's go to Mark 11 first. That'll be better. Better place to start. That'll give us more of a concept there. Mark 11. Start in verse 12. Now, the next day when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry. (laughs) Notice the humanity of Jesus. I'm, uh, I'm continually amazed that he, fully God, fully man, he chooses to live as a man and he can identify with what everything that we can identify because he's humbled himself and lived 24 hours a day, seven days a week, completely perfect. It's amazing. He never said never did, never thought anything contrary to the will and the purpose of God as the Son of Man. And he's the model. And seeing from afar fig trees having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would see something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of the figs. In response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. So you'll notice that Jesus speaks to a tree. And what he speaks to it causes something to happen. And then there's this little minor story in there about him overturning the temple. It's very minor. (laughs) And we find that the next morning, Mark picks this story up. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. I understand in Israel, the fig tree should have fruit in every season. I don't understand it all, but that's what they tell me. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. The fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. Now notice, he's, he has seen this tree the day before. He speaks to the tree. What he tells that tree to do happens. It is cursed from the inside out. So Jesus' words affect what happens to that tree. Peter's amazed. Peter's like, man, this is amazing. What you just said to that tree yesterday, it's happened. And then Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. That's New King James. The best translation of that from a leading uh, Greek scholar. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've looked at this for a really long time. And one of the Greek, leading Greek scholars, who is certainly no charismatic or Pentecostal, he's very evangelical, he said the best translation of that is have God's faith. So now you'll notice here, this is really interesting, that Jesus demonstrates something as the Son of Man, and Peter is amazed at what, what, what's happening, and then Jesus immediately teaches on this subject of faith. And you'll, what, what you'll notice, too, that there is a pattern in the ministry of Jesus that one of the number one things you'll find that he was trying to teach his disciples and the lessons in the Gospels is he's trying to teach people how to have a belief system. Through teaching, through demonstrating, he's trying to teach them how to see reality correctly because reality has been distorted because Adam and Eve, 
uh, missed the mark. They, were, they got corrupted. The ground got corrupted. We'll look at it in a minute. And because it was corrupted, it now has to be put back into godly order. And so one of the missions of Jesus was begin to demonstrate what that looked like. And he teaches and he gives this startling revelation. He says that God has faith. And this is really interesting. God is love, but he operates in faith. And then he actually tells us as disciples that his people can have the God kind of faith operating in the earth. That's good news. So how does the God kind of faith operate? And Paul would tell us in uh, Romans, the sixth chapter. Excuse me, Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans chapter four, you'll see an indication of, of how the, the faith of God operates. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, obviously, the application there that Paul's talking about, the express application is to Abraham, but it is also teaching us how uh, uh, an insight into how God operates, an insight into the faith of God in operation. He, said, he says this to him. But uh, the promise is also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they are. So he tells us God calls things that do not exist as they are. God calls things that do not exist as they are. Where do we see God doing that? God calling things that do not exist as they are. I'm glad you asked, Mike Barr, at creation. So let's define the faith of God. According to 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, we know that God is spirit, but 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, describes him as having a heart and a mind. That's really important to understand part of the faith of God because he brings us and invites us to operate into the faith of God and you'll see the divine pattern that he establishes at creation. So faith is God's enduring confidence in his own attributes to fulfill that which his mind and heart have deemed desirable. Faith is an ability which God possesses within himself and brings humanity into to achieve his divine purpose. The community of the Trinity, known as the Father, Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though distinct persons, are in complete unity. Therefore, when the Godhead operates in faith, they achieve the desired result. Amazingly, the same confidence God, the, God has, the Godhead has has been made available to all of humanity. Before you look at Genesis 1, let's, look at, let's get there to Hebrews 11, because I think it'll give us more of an understanding there of the faith of God. Now, faith... Now, keep this in mind, because we'll look at 
what it looks like to see the faith of God in operation. God did not create something out of nothing. He created it from faith. Very, very important. Very, very important. (laughs) What you also see is the unseen realm defines what's in the seen realm. Your belief system defines how you live. So what you cannot see, the inside of you, it defines everything on the outside of you. This is very important to understand the kingdom of God. Because in the world system, everything's out there, out there, out there. Get my husband right, you know, I need to raise, need this, need that. And they're looking out there. When in the kingdom of God, it's an inside-out job. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. How is it framed? That's going to also play a key part. The worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The things which are seen were not made of things which were visible, but God had a mind and a heart. He had a desire for the world, and so he used the power of faith to bring substance. Faith is the, excuse me, substance is the ultimate underlying reality that defines what something is. So he takes his faith, and he goes, Ooh, I have this desire for an earth, a beautiful earth. I'm going to put it into order. Ooh, I'm going to leave the devil down there and create this human being. And, and, and because he wanted worship, I'm going to make their greatest desires to worship me. And he's going to kick their tail all over the earth by worshiping me. So what he does is he uses words, which you'll find that words were actually a part of God himself. So God is actually upholding the earth with the power of himself given through words. And verse 6, so this is why this is important to us. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. So it's really cool. He has faith. He operates in faith. He called things that do not exist as though they are. And then he goes, hey, by the way, you can have my faith. The good kingdom. So now we'll finally get to Genesis 1. Verse 1, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. Very, very important. Notice he creates heaven and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, this is, I think, message here, but I think I counted this week. He says at least nine times to create He says, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. He could have just, he could have just, he could have maybe, I don't, he could have done this because he's God, I believe this. He could have just spoke one thing, earth be and earth was, but he is very specific in what he wants to create through his words. And he also is teaching us about the patterns of God. You'll watch what he desired, he spoke. He believed what he desired. And because he believed it, he spoke it out of his mouth. And because he spoke it out of his mouth through the power of faith and the faith he had in his own words, that came to pass. So Genesis 1, 
And verse two, the earth was without form and void. So how does he put what is, with, what is out of order? He puts what is out of order through his words. And you'll also notice that the spirit of God was there. Notice that the spirit of God was there, but it was not until the power of words were used that something happened to what he desired. I learned this years ago, this principle, that the Holy Spirit can be present in a room, in an atmosphere, but until you begin to declare what God is saying, that which he desires will not change. Uh, I was in the Philippines for the first time, and uh, uh, I remember we'd been in the first city for a few days, and it was a little challenging, and then the the bishop goes, these are my pastors, they all look like they need deliverance. Um, But uh, I go, oh, Jesus and then right before I got up, this guy got up, and he's really sincere, but he really was like on this rant, this political rant. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I did not come this far. You send me to not fulfill the assignment. So I get up there. You know, I don't remember what I was saying. I was kind of trying to teach something or preach something, and they, they look like they're dying. And uh, it wasn't really a church. It was like this metal thing. And then I said, Lord, you know, talking, thank God there's a translator. So you got a few moments in between. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you a word. I said, I hope so. <laughs> and I start prophesying. As soon as I do, it was like fire got let off in this room. And all these pastors that, that, um, that uh, uh, you know, they, they, they look like they needed, you know, the, 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 the medical thing, the paddles. They all, I invited them up and they all end up laid out on the rocks, crying and screaming out to God. And it opened up a glorious week that week in those villages. Because we caught what God was saying. God spoke light and light appeared. Genesis 1, 3 and 5. Genesis 1, 11. God spoke earth, green grow up, grow all varieties. Genesis 1, 14 and 15. God spoke, lights come out. Genesis 1, 20 and 23. God spoke, swarm oceans, fish and sea and all life. Now, go to John 1. I know we're using a lot of scripture, but I think it's important tonight. Look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's beautiful. So he's operating in faith and he chooses words, but the words are a part of himself. So he's creating with a part of himself in the earth and he's anchoring the earth that he creates it with the power of who he is. He was in the beginning with God. All things, catch this, this is beautiful. Scripture's so good. If you don't like scripture, get born again tonight. All things were made through him, through words. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. That's another principle that governs the earth. We live in a word-governed world. There's not anything that exists in this world without words. You might not like it. You might not appreciate it. The only thing you can choose to do is choose which world you're going to live in. You're either going to choose life-giving words or death-giving words. 
I observed something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm supposing something here. We had a tragedy in America a few weeks ago. Uh, this young, I, I was there the night he got drafted at the Meadowlands Arena, Kobe Bryant, one of the great basketball players ever, watching this interview. I believe it was T- Tracy McGrady on ESPN. And something jumped out at me at this interview. Somebody told me, watch this interview. And in this interview, Tracy says, you know, when Kobe was young, I used to hear him say over, and I believe that he said over and over again, but he said over again, he said, I want to die young and be immortalized. I want to die young and be immortalized. And it jumped out at me. I said, if he never took back those words, he got exactly what he said. That's why, even in the Old Testament, he said, death and life are in the power of your tongue, not God's mouth. I believe that there's a lot of people in heaven who should not be there. In him was life. This is even better. So the actual life of God was in those words. And then Jesus tells us in the New Testament, John 6, 63, my words are spirit and they are life. So we know that God is light. So here's how this gets so much better. I mean, it just keeps getting better and better. We know that he is light, right? He's glory. So part of his glory and life and light was in those words. That's why that world was so beautiful. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Quick on to verse uh, 14. And the word became flesh. God's words became what they desired to be at creation. The words in your mouth will always become something. So this is God's faith in operation which calls things be not as though they are. It's part of himself. There's life and light inside of it and he gives it to us as a gift. Now, there's a reason we emphasize uh, the book of Genesis uh, because according to Malachi, the third chapter, verse 6, God does not change. So you have to understand the reason he gives us scripture, Genesis, Revelation, if you're real classic Pentecostal, you say Revelations or classic Baptist, whatever you are. But Genesis through Revelation, through the cross of Jesus, must be understood, too, that God did not intend to establish a religion, but to establish a kingdom, and also through the lens of covenant and kingdom. That's how you understand God. So he establishes a pattern that never changed after creation. And here's what he does. Genesis 1 verse 26, the crown jewel of his creation. Verse 26, then God said, let us, notice he's still speaking, let us, what is us? You'll you'll notice this brilliant pattern, make man in our image. Image is likeness, resemblance, pattern, image. To see Adam as God created him was to see God's representative in the earth. 
wasn't a little God, but to see Adam, it was the closest thing to God on the earth. The picture there, and they, they, they really like, they had trouble with this. It's almost like the Egyptians had these images of who their gods were. And that's the same language that God uses in the Hebrew to say who Adam was. He was what God was supposed to look like in the earth. That's why when it speaks about Jesus, it says he is the image of the invisible God. Because Adam was everything that Adam was supposed to be. Gets quiet, but it's true. Our likeness. So image, every person ever created is given an aspect of the personality of God. That's why if you want to classify it this way, we can for just for the sake of discussion. Christianity is the only religion that recognizes the dignity of all people. Hindus, throw away your kid because it's going to cost you more money. It's just a piece of blab and you're poor because you did something in your previous life. So you justify injustice. So why should we be kind to all people? Because everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone represents part of God's purpose in the earth, whether they're born again or not. So you should be kind to all people. Now, this is a key verse right there, right here, right here. Let them, let them, let them. He doesn't say let us. He says let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. Then he reemphasizes this concept over all the earth, over all the earth. Man's purpose in God was to take care of God's planet. Part of your responsibility, even as a believer today, is can you be faithful to God's stuff? Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, Charles Capp said years ago, that means you have dominion over creepy people. So God created him, man in his own image, in the image of God. He created male and female. Why do we see so much attacks against gender roles? Because it's the foundation of a healthy nation. Family. That's what he's creating here. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, these, this is just full, but let, let's emphasize a few things here. Number one, I just said it a minute ago, God in nowhere in those scriptures is establishing a religion. He is not interested in a religion. He is interested in establishing a kingdom. According to Psalm 11, he sets up his throne, even though he's spirit He didn't need a place to live, but he created a place called heaven where he sets up his throne. So God is in heaven, creates the earth, and he puts, he creates the earth to be a colony of heaven, but he puts man in charge of that earth. Man is not created to take care of himself, but there's this this tension in this truth that man is given something very, very powerful. It still exists today. Man is given the power of choice. That means he didn't have a robot on the earth. Man could choose, even though he was not created independent, he was created to be dependent. This is good news, though. Everything that Adam and Eve ever would need 
could be found in God or they could be found on the earth. Adam was not looking at Eve going, how are we going to pay the light bill? We should be really worried, you know, you know Trump, Trump tax cuts are not affecting me. We need more money, you know. Just, it's not how they functioned. The king had provided everything for his ambassadors. And what qualified them to govern the earth? You'll find, so you'll see this pattern. God created, then God blessed them, and God said to them, first voice that Adam and, ever, Adam and Eve ever hear is the voice of God. The same voice that, and words that created the universe is now speaking to man and giving him purpose. And you'll find that they are now, the, the man and man and women were created to be educated and to receive knowledge because the kingdom of God cannot function without knowledge. But it functions from two different sources. Man received information from the realm of the senses. Realm of the senses are God-given. We'll list those here in a minute. Well, right now, let's do that. These are God-given. They're not opposed to God because God gave them to you. But the realm of the senses is from the soul. Senses is sight. They saw the earth. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Needed no upgrades. Didn't need version 2.0. They heard. They heard the voice of God. They touched. Touched those fruits. Ate those fruits. Taste. Smell. All the realm of the senses, all God-given. I've noticed, uh, I've talked to people with, sometimes with deficiencies in those, those areas. They say it's almost like you're out of equilibrium. Thank God I have all mine. And thank God I'm going for at least 120 years. This is the shortest part of your existence. You might as well maximize it. When, he, when Adam saw Eve, he goes, that's a fine woman. You know, take her. Thank you, Jesus. You know. <laughs> So all these gave him information. But revelation knowledge was always supposed to trumpet sensory knowledge. How did Adam know what to do? He only knew what to do or what his purpose was through revealed knowledge. Adam can't discover his purpose by looking inward. Adam can't discover his purpose by looking at a tree. That's a big thing, too, when you're, when, you're, when you're relating to humanity, too, and unsafe people. Everyone has a purpose. And so when I'm, when I'm talking to unbelievers, I'm trying to find the key that would something that caused something to come alive in them about their purpose. We don't want to treat the gospel like a sales pitch. We want to get to the, we want to, sometimes you got to meet the need in front of them to get to the purpose. That's what Jesus did. Fishermen needed fish, so he gets them some fish, and then he goes, well, let me tell you what you really came to earth for. Not to be fisher of fish, to be fisher of men. But it was also revealed knowledge he was operating in. That's why uh, 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 Proverbs says, without revelation knowledge, the people of God perish. Without revealed knowledge, the people of God perish. So he can only discover his purpose 
because God told him and he was meant to be guided by that voice of God. But it wasn't just one revelation. It was revealed knowledge after revealed knowledge. What's the other thing he tells them? He gives them understanding for how that earth is supposed to function. He goes, don't eat from that tree. So he's teaching them how life is supposed to govern in that, in that garden. How do they know they're not supposed to eat? Because God's voice told them. So it's revealed knowledge. So how does he build your house? He builds your spiritual house according to, which we'll probably talk about a little more tomorrow night, revealed knowledge, revealed knowledge, revealed knowledge. And the most natural thing for how God created Adam and Eve and us was to trust God. Their trust in God caused them to live, to be able to, the foundation of their connection with God was to trust those words God spoke over them. And as they trusted that, they could live from this powerful position. Hey, we can trust God and, you know, just don't touch that tree. And, 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 and I believe that tree was a sign of the faithfulness of God because they were supposed to live forever it took him, I think that's one of the reasons why it took Adam so long to die physically. Because he was created to live forever, so he didn't know what it meant to die. The enemy had to talk him into dying. Now people live with the concept of death. So he's walking with God. That tree was supposed to be a perpetual sign of as God as their source. Supposed to grow forever. And when they had the thousand kids, because you know women have like, I think, 500,000 uh, 500, eggs when you're 13. Why do you need that many eggs? Well, it wasn't supposed to hurt. Every nine months, you could just... No problem. <laughs> Serious. They weren't American. They were Catholic back then, you know. <laughs> So it's like it was generational. And when they, they, you know, the kids would go, how come we don't eat from that tree? Oh, we don't eat from that tree because that's God's tree. And he told us not to eat from that tree, and it's a sign. The reason there's so many fruit on that tree forever is because it's a sign of his perpetual faithfulness to us that he is our source. It was the first tithe. That's why you don't touch the tithe. Because you're touching what exclusively belongs to the Lord. Now you can get mad at that too, but it's right. <laughs> so look at verse 4. God reemphasizes this point. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In that day, the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth... Before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth. Why did he not cause it to rain? He tells us. Because there was not a man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the hole in the face of the ground. He created man for the express purpose of taking care of his creation. Part of your responsibility before God is, can you take care of of God's stuff. 
Verse 15, we just read it. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to tend it to keep it. Those verses too, the original language, the expression is there. He put man in that place to rest. You also notice that uh, we didn't read those verses, but um, actually let's read them because we're there. Verse 10, now a river went out from uh, Eden to the garden. From there it parted four riverheads. In the name of the first is Pishon. It is one which skirts the whole land of Havilah. There is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Bedulim, onyx there, are stone. In the name of the second river is Gihon. It is one which goes around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Hidal. It is one which goes towards the east of Syria. The fourth is the river Euphrates. So this is the place that God put man. A place, I don't know why he puts it in there. I, I, I can, yeah, I have some ideas. But he tells us that he puts actually gold and onyx in the garden he put man in. Where else is there gold? I'm glad you asked, Brother Mike. Thank you for asking again, Reverend Mike. He's coming to Africa with us. He's asking lots of good questions tonight. There's gold in heaven. Streets of gold. What does this teach us about the nature of God? It's really beautiful. God is comfortable letting man live in the same place he lives. And he didn't do anything to earn it. He puts him in this place of beauty that is exactly like the place he lives. God is not cheap. So when he says he puts him in that garden, the language there is he puts him there to rest in that place. What's he do after he creates him? On day seven, he rests. I don't fully get that one, but I do know this. Part of connecting with God is trusting what he said about you and learning to receive what he's given you. You imagine that? It's your first day like, Adam, you're created to take care of the world. You're my ambassador. Okay, where do I start? He goes, oh, Tomorrow's a day off. Because I want you to get that this is a gift. This is not based on obviously anything you did because you just got here. Big thing, big part of connecting with God correctly is the ability to receive the righteousness and the goodness He has given you. Verse 19 verse of chapter 2. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. So this is a picture of life in the kingdom. God is always a source. It's Genesis 1 again. When time began, God. God's always the source. He is always a 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 source. He wants to be your source of everything. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your provider. He wants to be your comforter. He wants to be the one who delivers you of all th- everything you need of, I got it taken care of. You don't have to push your way. You don't have to fight your way. You don't even have to be American. I got this. You know, I'm just going to work harder. Just, just, I got it. You know, doesn't mean you don't work hard. Please work hard. We need more people like that in America. It's like cool not to work these days in America. You got a whole presidential candidate who will help you not work. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking right now. 
won't believe the lie. That's all I got to say. And he brought them to, to Adam to see what he would call them. Why did he do it? Because he is so committed to his word, because he said, you are now over the earth, he's got to give him the responsibility that he's given him. He cannot violate his word. Well, I got to, let me, let me do like the first few animals for you. No, you're in charge. What qualified Adam to name those animals? The word of the Lord over his life. You're made to have dominion. You're made to be fruitful. You're made to be multiplied. And you are made to rule this earth. Notice he did not go to Georgia State. He did not go to University of Georgia. None of this is by sensory knowledge. He is qualified to do this by revelation knowledge. I don't know if you're catching a theme tonight. The theme is, he said, we started this work, this work by a word from the Lord. This, I always say, when I ask people, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I just feel like, you know, what did God say? Because that's the only thing that qualifies you. What did the Lord say? And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. So what's happening here? You'll see, again, how is Adam able to do this? He's trusting what God told him. And when he's trusting what God told him, he, he's never named animals before. Because people like, I've never done this before. Welcome to walking with God. So his trust, his faith in the words that God's giving him is giving substance to his behavior and he's doing what he's never done before and he was just created just a few days before that. So his faith in God, his trust in God is anchoring the world as God intended it because he's been made the caretaker of the world. The pattern is this. God is three persons, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Operating in faith, speaking words that creates and causing the universe to be out it is. Those same words, he speaks to Adam. He creates man in his image. How does he create man? This is the pattern. He is a spirit. You are a spirit first. Most people say, talk about their body first. You are a spirit first. Here's a good thing about your spirit, the good news about your spirit. Your spirit never gets old. That's why you're like, bless God, I feel like I'm like, like 20 years old. No, you're 80 still. But your spirit feels that way because it doesn't get old. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit first. soul, and you live in a body. The body's not unimportant because God gave it to you. But your spirit is to control. And so he creates this man in his image who's trusting God through the faith of God. He's trusting his words. God spoke, God spoke. Now man is speaking and causing the world to be like God intended it to be. Those animals do not know the difference whether God is saying it or whether Adam is saying it, they just know I've been created to live in a word-governed world and those are words from the Lord so I will obey what those words say. 
In fact, when the fall is, we're getting, we'll touch on this here in a minute. When the fall came, it says creation groans for the appearing of sons of man. Because I don't know how this all works, but I know that the earth on the inside is going, we need people who know what to say God wants to say so we can act correctly. I'm serious. It says it groans for the sons of God to appear. Why? Because they want to become everything that God said in the beginning. You'll notice also the pattern that he's establishing. God believes something. Well, first he thinks, because he, right, he thought about us before the foundation of the world. He thinks, he believes, he speaks, he creates. Man thinks, created to think with God's words. He believes what God says. He speaks what God says, and he's supposed to create what God wants to create. That's the holy pattern. And it gets a little distorted here. Genesis 3. Now we know it's not the next day, but here we go. The serpent, this is Genesis 3 if you're following along. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had, had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you, you, you touch it, lest you die. Excuse me, verse 4. Then the serpent said, you, you shall... Oh, excuse me. You will not surely die, for God knows in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Stop right there. This is really important to me because this jumped out at me a few weeks ago. Why is this really important? Because the very same lie he brought her with is the very same lie that exists in the world today, and in most humanistic philosophies, and even political philosophies you see today. What is he tempting her with? He's tempting her with, he goes, if you eat of that, you'll know both good and evil. What's he telling her? He's trying to tempt her with the same thing that caused him to be one step short of mentally retarded. He is... But he knows one thing. If I can get her to agree with me, I can have dominion in the earth. What did he want? He, if you read about him, he was beautiful. He's got musical instruments created on the inside of him. I believe when he's worshiping, he said, I stood on the holy mount. I think he's standing on earth. And he was leading this glorious worship of heaven. And he's got this thought. Oh, this is awesome. I'd like that. What did he want? He wanted the seat exclusively reserved for God. He wanted to be able to decide what was right and wrong, and only God can do that. The reason I'm bringing this up is this is a common way this is expressed today. You know, just whatever, whatever you think is good for your life, as long as you're not hurting anyone, if it feels good to you, you know, you, you, here it is. You be you. What are they saying? You be, the, you be the arbiter of your own world. You decide what's right and wrong. You'll even see it when people talk about this sick issue of abortion. 
well, I think it's wrong, but you know, who am I to say what's wrong, right? Well, you tell me what to do about my taxes. You tell me how you want to educate my kids. You tell me how I want to vaccinate. But when it comes to killing a kid in the womb, you're telling me, I, well, I can't really, you know, the government shouldn't get involved in that. The government's involved in everything. And all this thing like, well, you know, it's not our place to say what's right and wrong. They're constantly telling us what's right and wrong. So be careful of coming into agreement. Now there's a realm with that, you know, you, you, you should be an individual, all that stuff, that's correct. You should be, you know, you should be the person that God created. But usually when they say that, you be you, what they're saying is, you decide what's right and wrong, and you cannot decide what's right and wrong. It's called the book. Now, we'll watch something here. Verse 6 So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open. That's a key verse right there. And they knew that they were, uh, if you're from the south, you say naked. If you're from the north, you say naked. (laughs) And And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves a covering. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day when Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, uh, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam and he said to them, where are you? So we see that man was empowered by hearing, trusting the voice of God, world is operating. And also what is he doing? He is seeing the world. He is seeing the world through God's eyes as he trusts God. Now a competing voice comes. Voice still, you, you are the result today in your life of the voice that you are predominantly listening to. And you'll also notice that even when they're made perfect, they had a choice in the voice that they were going to listen to. So here's what happens. They lit, sensory knowledge overrides Revelation knowledge, he starts, look, oh, it's pretty nice, you know, he's, you know, he's a good guy, he's not a believer, but he, you know, he's going to have a good career, and, you know, he's a good family, and what did God say? Well, you know, they're offering us, they're offering me a lot bigger salary. But the Lord called me here to Augusta, but they're, you know, this job in California. And, and then sometimes we use Bible verses to justify what the Lord never told us to do. Get real spiritual. Well, you know, my wife's not going to have to work now. We can homeschool the kids and, you know, have a bigger house. It's like really good, you know. Do you have a place to connect there? What did God say? It always gets real quiet. You say, well, that sounds... You know, awesome on the outside. But what did God say? Well, we don't really want to ask God. And sometimes you gotta you gotta really be discerning because sometimes it will be a God given dream that is not in the right season. And the enemy will bring something your way. This is why you have to settle number one that God is first in your life, and then number two that He's your source. And this is where we run into real challenges in the body of Christ because we've got people living in California that should be living in Augusta, Georgia. 
and their marriages are falling apart because that job that paid more, oh, they're paying you more, but you're going to work for it. And you're never going to be home. And you're not going to have a church community like you were, like, here, like you had here in Georgia. And you're maybe going to church once every three weeks because you're so tired. And you didn't have the spiritual development to live in that sort of place at that season in your life. And God is right there to help you. But he wants to help you before you make that choice. He doesn't throw you away. He's right there to help. So we don't want to make decisions based on our soul. Based on what we think is right. And I have found this is not that hard. Like if you are sincerely going, God, you're first. He'll go, don't do it. Even if you're like three days born again, he'll go, don't do it. (laughs) No, I'm serious. He will help you. He will help you not be stupid. I'm serious. See, you have to think that way. You have to think because we, we have all these cultural family ideas. Well, you know, we talked to mom and dad and they thought it was a great idea. Yeah, because their God is money. I don't care if they're an elder in a church. I don't care if they talk in tongues. They have a dream for you. And that's awesome. Everybody wants their kids to do well, but it might not be God's idea. I have great parents. They support me. I told them, though. I said, I'm going to do what the Lord told me to do with my life. I love you. I respect you. I still listen to your advice. But you've got to know we can disagree. I'm going to do what the Lord told me to do. I'm not, I will not be manipulated to doing what you think I should do. That's, that's a lot of people, even in the body of Christ. You know, spouses, you should encourage each other in the things of God. Anyway, get off that one, got quiet, that one. So they listen to the wrong voice. Here's what happens. Their view of each other, of God, and the earth got completely corrupted when they listened to the wrong voice. When you have faith in the wrong thing, your lens of perception becomes distorted. They disobeyed God. So what do they do? They see each other as naked and unashamed. God's looking for them. What are they doing? They're turning away from God because they're believing a lie. What's also happening? The world that they were created to take care of is now completely corrupt because of what they put their faith in. That's why the faith of God is so important. We know the good news is this. We know the good news is that Jesus came as the first man since the second Adam to express God's original intent. I don't know how you do it, but he he improved on perfection. The difference between Adam and Jesus is for the first time in human history, the Holy Spirit now indwelt a man. The garden, he walks with Adam in Jesus. Jesus is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he teaches us this fundamental aspect of beginning to teach us how to live correctly again. He says, have God's faith. 
And then he tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why do you want to operate in faith? Because you want to please God. Because part of that faith is, I want to take care of everything you need here on the earth. So what is, we'll land the plane here in a minute. I'm almost done, buddy. I'm almost done. So he tells us, without faith, it's impossible. Please me. But here's the good news. Just like, back to Genesis 1, just like in the garden, I gave them my faith as a gift, he gives to us the faith of God as a gift. Here's where Paul put it. And notice he emphasizes this idea that faith is of God. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 3. You still with me? I just got a few more minutes. I want to land. The, oh, it's later than I thought, but you're hungry tonight. So this has been good. Romans 12, verse C. For I say, through the grace of God given me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly as God as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. Then Ephesians 2, verse 8, he emphasizes again. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. So you, have to, you actually have to receive the grace of God through faith. Not of yourselves. I love this. It's a gift of God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. So the door into the kingdom of God is exclusively through faith. And I, I, no, most evangelicals know that point well. But the door to live into the kingdom of God. The just shall live by faith. And you'll watch this concept of faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen at salvation. This is how Paul puts it in Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're believing, your words are an expression of what you believe. I don't know how, you know, however you got born again. I remember being a little kid in Sunday school class. And I remember, like, you never know the power you have on a child. Thank God my parents brought me there. We went to, we went to everything, you know. <laughs> you didn't miss anything. You're backslidden if you miss something. And I remember you had the, they had the board back then. I grew up in the 80s. I had the board. It was very cutting edge. The board with the stick figures. And the pastor's wife, I still remember, I think I was three or four years old. She said, we've all done things that are wrong. And I knew that because my parents were my parents. They were not my friends. Not my dad's one of my best friends. But back then, he's dad. And I've never called my dad by his first name. That's just my own issue. But uh, own thing. And she said, we've all done stuff that was wrong. And I knew that. But here's the good news. The good news is Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, died, rose again. And he took the penalty for all your mistakes. And if you receive him in your heart, 
You will live with him now, but you'll also live for him forever. How many of you want to receive that? And I thought, that sounds like a great idea. What's happening? Revelation knowledge that a child can understand. And then she led this in a prayer. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again on the third day for my life. What's happening? The faith of God is giving me the ability to respond to the gospel message. I'm confessing with words what I believe in my heart. And faith reaches into the unseen realm and makes me the righteousness of Christ in Christ Jesus by a simple declaration of what I believe in my heart as a child. Faith moves into the unseen realm and gives substance to what God desired to create in my life before the foundation of the world. That God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. For with the heart, what? One believes unto righteousness and with confession is made unto salvation. Now, here's some characteristics of faith and then we will end the, we'll, we'll land this to, to, tonight. Faith in God is the master key for God's people to represent God on the earth. Look at 1 John 5 verse 4. Whoever believes that Jesus is born of God and everyone who loves him, who begot him, also loves him, who is begot by him. By this we know we love the children of God, that when we love God, we keep his commandments. And, his, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So what is one of the characteristics that you love God? You do what he tells you to do. You know, so when I, when I hear people say, well, I love God, but I, you know, I don't believe in that you know, coming together stuff. Do you really love God? Oh, you're being legal. I'm just telling you the word. Because the word says if you love God, you'll join together with his people. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So the faith of God inside of you is created to overcome the world. And this is really important, though, too. You don't understand and have faith. You have faith that causes you to understand. So he tells us in Hebrews 11, by faith we understand. So what is, why is it faith so foundational? Because it causes us to understand. It causes us to overcome. causes us to understand. Now, I will close with this. This is my... Eighth closing. In education, anytime you take a course, college or graduate course, they have these objectives. And so this is what we want you to learn at the end of this course. One of the things that God wants us to know is that everyone's given the measure of faith, everyone's given a measure of that God kind of faith. And here's the brilliant thing. That faith has been given to you to move the mountains out of your life that are not in accordance to the will of God. You have, if you're in Christ, how many are in Christ? You have mountain-moving faith on the inside of you. The same faith that caused that tree to become what God intended it to become. It's on the inside of you right now. 
It's right there, right now. But it's not God's responsibility for that. Uh, it's not God's responsibility for how that faith is going to grow. It's in there, but it must be developed. Must be developed. You don't start overnight, you know, like believing for, you know, I've, you know, what I've learned, how you start living by faith is, Lord, I need your help to get out of bed today. Lord, I need your help to do what you've asked me to do today. Lord, what shirt should I wear today? I'm serious. Because I'm in training. Because I want to know secrets of the universe, but if I can hear him to wear the right shirt, I'll start with the small things. You think it's right? Well, you can do whatever you want. Well, I don't really think God cares about that. That's fine. I'm going to start with the small stuff. Because I started with the small stuff. Now the decisions I make affect a lot of people. But here's a faith objective. Here it is. Matthew the 8th chapter, and then we'll finish here. Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. I'm always fascinated with this story. This is like one of the thousand stories in Scripture that fascinates me. Because if Jesus told me that, I would have had my iPhone out. Like, Jesus, come to my house today. Go take care of my boy. Like, I'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) selfie stick. He's coming to my house. Video it. But this guy understands something. And he's he's a Gentile. He's a pagan. He's not in the covenant. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I'm also a man under authority, having soldiers, and I say to this one, go and he goes, and to another come and he comes, and to my servant do this and he does. And when Jesus heard it, this is the part. I know he's going to tell him in a minute he's got great faith, but the Son of God and the Son of Man tells another man that he's marveling at his faith. I believe this is a faith objective. This is something I pray. Lord, I want to be like the centurion because you said you're no respecter of person. So I'm here and I'm yours to command. I want to do things that you tell me to do that you'll actually marvel in heaven at what I do. He's perfect and he's marveling at a mere mortal's faith. Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to me, say to you that many will come from the east and the west to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, notice too, as you have believed what's happening. His belief system is defining what's happening in the seen realm. So let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. I believe that's a faith objective. Yeah, you can clap.